This is Ron Stockton. This is an unusual podcast, but I hope you like it. When my grandchildren were little, I would tell them stories. Some of those stories were about family members. My grandmother, who immigrated from France, for example. Or the time I got into big trouble. Capital B, capital T. The story was that when I was six, we, we had a country store. And I had a cowboy outfit, complete with gun and holster. One day I decided to rob the store. My aunt was behind the counter, so I suspect she did not really think she was being robbed when she gave him a little boy in a mask a nickel. That night I was told that if I ever did that again, <clears throat> my parents would take away my gun and holster and my whole cowboy outfit. My life of crime ended right there. My grandkids loved this story. Some of these stories were about my grandkids themselves, or at least doppelganger versions of them. Those alternate kids had names very similar to those of the grandchildren hearing the story. Daniel would hear stories of Waniel. Sarah would hear stories of Wera. Hannah would hear stories about Wana. And Carol Ann would hear stories about Weralan. Often these stories were just adventures. Someone would be playing in the neighborhood and a lion would appear. It would roar and look fierce, but the doppelganger kid would tell it to behave, and it would. The kids were always the heroes of these stories. Three stories were different. One was the bird feast. I borrowed it from Chenua Achebe uh, in his wonderful novel, Things Fall Apart. It's fairly short in the novel, but I realized that Achebe had probably heard someone tell it in his home village in Igbo land. And the style of a storyteller is to take the structure of a story and adapt it. In that spirit, I would always adapt my stories slightly each time I told them. A second story was something my own grandfather, Ed Barton, told me. It is called Grandpa the Mule. He told it to me as a true story, but with my grandfather, you could never tell. I would never have called my grandfather by his name, but because the hero of the story, the mule, was called Grandpa, I'll have to make an exception in this case. And the third story was my own creation. It was called Ishkabibble. That strange word was something I remembered from the days of radio. One of the comedy shows of the day had someone who would use that word. Apparently it was an adaptation from Yiddish, but we didn't know that back in those days. In fact, we probably didn't even know what Yiddish was. It was just a funny word. I turned that funny word into a story. Are you ready? Let's start with the bird feast. This was a time when there was a terrible famine and the birds were really hungry. There had been no rain for a long time. There were no bugs, no seeds, nothing. It was awful. The cousins in the sky heard about this famine on the earth and invited their bird cousins from the earth to a feast. Apparently there was plenty of food in on the clouds. The birds were so excited that they were going to get to go and have this wonderful feast. So the morning of the feast, <clears throat> the birds got up early. They preened and prepared. They shined their beaks. They cleaned their claws. They polished their feathers. They were just ready to take off. When they looked up, and there was Tortoise. They said to him, Tortoise, what are you doing here? We've told you to stay away. You always come trying to trick us, and we don't like to even deal with you. Tortoise looked a bit sad. He said, that's true. 
I used to trick you, but I've changed. I'm nice. Well, the birds talked among themselves and they said, you know, it is possible to change and tortoise seems nice. So let's not chase him away. But then they said, tortoise, what do you want? Why are you here? And he said, I would like to go to the feast. You know, tortoises also don't have any food. We're hungry too. And they said, tortoise, come on, you're a tortoise. You don't have wings. You can't fly. We have to go out to the clouds. And tortoise said, well, that's true. But each of you could give me a feather. And I could put those feathers together and make wings. You wouldn't lose very much if you gave me a feather. And I would gain a lot. So the birds talked among themselves and they said, you know, this is true. Each of us could spare one feather. We wouldn't even notice it. And tortoise could put them all together and make wings and he could fly up with us. And he's hungry too. Maybe we should help him. So they each took a feather and they gave it to tortoise and he put them all together and made two wings. So they were ready to go and they took off. So they were flying and tortoise said, I'll go first. I know the way. And the bird said, well, you know, we've never been to the clouds and tortoise seems to know where he's going. So let's let him go. So tortoise went to the first, to the front of the, of the crowd of birds. And then tortoise said, you know, the custom in this kind of a feast is that everybody is supposed to take a new name. Well, the birds had never heard this, but on the other hand, they had never been to a feast. And Tortoise seemed to know what he was talking about. So each of the birds took a new name. And Tortoise said, I want my new name to be all of you. And the birds thought, that is a really strange name. But on the other hand, each of us gets to choose our own name. And if Tortoise wants to be called all of you, then I guess that's okay. So they continued. Well, the birds up in the sky looked out. They were excited to, to host their, their cousins. And they looked out and they saw the birds coming and they were very happy. And then they saw this very strange bird in front. And he didn't look like a regular bird, but he did have, a, have wings. And if he was the leader, maybe the leader looks different. Maybe on the earth, the leader of birds looks different. So they thought, okay, he must be the leader. And so the birds arrived on the cloud and they looked up. They couldn't believe their eyes. There were long tables of bowls filled with bugs and seeds. They were so happy. And everybody made a speech. The, the earth birds said how happy they were to be there. They were always aware of their cousins and now they're happy to meet them and, and to greet them. And the the cousins in the sky welcomed them and said how happy they were to be able to share what they had with their cousins from the earth. And everybody was so happy. And then the host bird said, now, all of you come forward and eat. And suddenly the birds realized they had been tricked because tortoise waddled forward to to the table and began eating. He ate bird, he ate seeds, he ate bugs, he ate everything. He took the longest time to finish. And when he got to the end, 
the other birds came and all that was left were little dribbles here and there, a few bugs, a few seeds. They were so mad. And then it was time to go and they had not had very much to eat at all. And they were all so mad with tortoise. They said, tortoise, you tricked us. And each of the birds went over and they grabbed their feather and took it back. And now tortoise is up in the clouds and he doesn't have wings. And they pushed him off the cloud and he began falling faster and faster towards the earth. He knew this was going to be a big problem when he landed. So he called out to Mrs. Tortoise and he says, Mrs. Tortoise, put out the soft things. Well, he's spinning around in the sky and he's shouting at her. He's very rude. He doesn't even say please. And he's just shouting, put out the soft things. Okay, now this is the point where it's necessary for those of you listening to participate or the story is not going to go anywhere. So when he said put out the soft things, what was he thinking about? Okay, tell me, what was he thinking about? Oh, okay, the mattress. Yeah, that's good. What else? Are uh, the pillows? Yes. The sheets? Okay, the sheets. The towels? Yeah, okay. Okay, those are all the soft things. Except Mrs. Tortoise misunderstood. She thought, he said, put out all the hard things. So she rushed into their house and began bringing out all the hard things so he could land on them. Okay, what were the hard things? Okay, let's hear it. Oh, the fridge? Yes, yes. The pots and pans? Oh, those are hard. The mixer? Yes. The iron? Yes, yes. All the tools? Okay, okay. So there was this big pile of hard things, and tortoise came smashing into that pile of hard things. And instead of bouncing the way he would have if it had been soft things, he smashed, and his shell broke and and went all over. There were dozens of pieces and Tortoise was lying there on the ground without a shell. And Mrs. Tortoise had to go around and pick up all the pieces of the shell and put them back together using super glue. And if you look at Tortoise today, you will see that his shell obviously had been broken and put back together by Mrs. Tortoise. Okay, that's story one. Now, here's the second story. This is Grandpa the Mule. My grandfather, Ed, worked in a coal mine, as did so many other young boys in, and, and men in Southern Illinois. This was the days before complex machinery, when the physical labor of miners was much more important. A railroad line went into the mine and coal cars filled with coal would be pulled to the top of the mine by mules. These mules were key elements in the production process. Mules were noted for three traits, their physical strength, their stubbornness, and their loud braying. Their strength came from the fact that they were a cross between a horse and a donkey. Horses were strong and donkeys had stamina, so the mule was a perfect combination for mine work. Their braying, loud and without any apparent purpose, was just what mules did by nature. Their stubbornness, well, 
Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know. In the mine where Ed worked, there was a mule called Grandpa. He was a strong mule who could pull any coal car no matter how full it was. But he had one serious flaw. He was very stubborn and would occasionally stop mid-trip and refuse to move. Of course, this balking happened often enough with mules and the miners knew what to do. They would whack the mule a couple of times to get it started again. <clears throat> but Grandpa the mule was not amenable to such incentives. The miners would hit him, curse him, kick him. Grandpa would not move. One day, Ed came upon a predictable situation. Grandpa was in mid-trip. He had stopped dead in his tracks and was standing there like the rock of Gibraltar, braying up a storm. A crowd of miners stood around him, cursing, kicking, and hitting, all to no avail. <clears throat> Ed ambled up and asked what was the problem. The miners pointed out the obvious. Grandpa was balking and would not move. Nothing could budge him. Ed looked over the situation and explained the problem to the miners. You fellows need to keep in mind that Grandpa is a sensitive beast. He's just like the rest of us. He needs to be treated with respect, and then he will do his job. All of this hitting and kicking and yelling just makes him mad. If you ask him politely, he will pull the wagon. Now you have to remember that miners are a very skeptical lot, not given to fancy manners and polite conversation. They do their job and expect everyone else to do theirs, including mules. Still encouraged by Ed, one of the miners said to Grandpa the mule, Grandpa, would you please pull the car to the top of the mine? Needless to say, Grandpa didn't budge. Of course, Ed had the answer. I told you he was sensitive. You have to say it with sincerity, as if you mean it. A mule is not a fool. He can tell when he's just being used. The men were, the men were incredulous at this point. The idea of a sensitive mule was beyond their comprehension. With that, Ed walked over to Grandpa, put his arm around his neck, leaned over, and said in his ear, as sweet as if the mule were a young girl to whom Ed had taken a fancy, Grandpa, would you please pull the coal car to the top of the mine? Without a moment of hesitation, Grandpa began to walk forward and did exactly as he was asked. The miners were astounded. It had never occurred to them that mules had feelings and were sensitive. Of course, a few days later, the same thing happened. Grandpa was balking. Again, the men were kicking the mule and calling him names. Again, Ed appeared and told the miners that this was a sensitive mule that had to be treated with respect. And of course, some big muscular coal miner, feeling a bit sheepish about the whole thing, leaned over and asked Grandpa, as polite as could be, if he would please pull the coal car to the top of the mine. And are we surprised? Grandpa just stood there braying and being his usual stubborn self. That is, of course, until Ed walked up to the mule, wrapped his arm around Grandpa's neck, leaned over into his ear and asked him ever so politely to pull the car to the top of the mine. To everyone's surprise, except Ed and Grandpa, Grandpa did the task. As Ed explained years later to his grandson, me, Grandpa the mule was as stubborn and as stupid as any other mule, and in fact had no more feelings than a rock of coal. But the miners were not alert to the sleight of hand that was going on. When Ed leaned over to talk to Grandpa, he slipped a piece of tobacco into his mouth. Grandpa, it seems, had a nicotine habit. A little piece of tobacco made his day and made him the happiest and most cooperative mule in the mine. 
When he had finished the story, my grandfather was a bit nostalgic and mentioned in passing that when the mine closed, it was not possible to get the mules out. They were just left behind in the mine along with the shovels and picks until they starved to death. That's story two. Would you like to hear about Ishka Bibble? This is the one I made up. Um, what did I do with this? Just a minute. I made some notes for myself. Okay, I guess we're just going to have to riff on this one. Um, so this is the story of Ishka Bibble. Um, it's a story about a little baby. This was a tiny little baby, like two months old. This little baby couldn't talk. All it could say were baby words like gaga and goo goo. It couldn't even say mama or dada or anything like that. All it could say were those baby words. So one day, the baby was sitting in its high chair in the kitchen, and mom was making some cookies or doing something. And the little baby said, Ishkabibble. And the mom stopped and she looked around and she said, Baby, what did you say? And the baby said, Ishkabibble. The mother was astounded. She had never heard a baby talk before, especially a little baby like this one. It wasn't even two months old. Babies can't talk. And the baby again said, Ishkabibble. Well, the mother was astounded. And she thought, okay, I better talk to the doctor about this. This is amazing. So she called the doctor and she said, doctor, something amazing just happened. My little baby, who's just two months old, said an amazing word. It wasn't a baby word like gaga or gugu. The baby said, Ishkabibble. The doctor said, well, this is impossible. Babies don't have the ability to talk. But why don't you bring the baby over to my office and I'll examine it. So the mother grabbed the baby and put it in the car and they went to the doctor's office. And the doctor looked at the baby and said, all right, baby, can, can you talk? Say, say, gaga or gugu. Well, the baby didn't say gaga or gugu. It said ishkabibble. And the doctor was amazed. He had never heard such a thing before. He thought, this is a miracle baby. Babies simply don't have the capacity to speak. Their brain hasn't matured enough to say words. So he got on the phone and he called all the other doctors. And he said, this is amazing. You have to drop whatever you're doing and come to the arena. I'm going to show you a wonder baby. So all the, ba all the doctors stopped what they were doing. Right in the middle of surgery, they just left people cut open lying there. And they said, I'll be back when I see this miracle baby. They all rushed to the arena the auditorium where this amazing baby was so they were they arrived all the doctors they were sitting there in their white coats there was the baby in his high chair there was the mama there was the doctor and the doctor said okay baby say ishkabibble and the baby said gaga goo goo and the doctor said, yes, yes, that's okay. Those are baby words. But say your big words. Say Ishkabibble. And the baby said, gaga, goo goo. And the mama came in now. She says, okay, baby, the doctor wants you to say Ishkabibble. Go ahead. You know how to say it. Say Ishkabibble. And the baby said, gaga, goo goo. And all the doctors were so mad. They said, you know, we left our patients. We left our surgeries. We left everything 
to come here to see a little baby say what every single baby in the world can say. Gaga, Guku, all babies can say those baby words. We're fed up. And they all left. They were so mad. They all left and they went back to their offices and to their surgeries and whatever it was. And the doctor was standing there. And the mama was standing there. And the baby was sitting there. And the mama and the doctor looked at each other. They were so disappointed. They were so upset. They really didn't understand what had just happened. And the little baby said, Ishkabelle. Okay, those are the stories. My kids like that story of the little baby who outfoxed everybody. Anyway, uh, that's those are the stories that my grandkids heard. And, uh, and so I hope you enjoyed those.